This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Thursday, July 18th. My name is Ben Ornstein. I'm here today with Patrick McKenzie. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Ben. How's it going? It's going well. So for folks that don't know you, uh, do you have an elevator pitch for yourself? Hmm, elevator pitch. Well, I say the tweet-sized version of my career is that I make money for software companies, but it took me a while to get there. Um, my name's Patrick McKenzie. My handle on the internet is Patio11, which I started using it a number of years ago and then used it for my Hacker News screen name, and it became probably the way I'm better known uh, versus my actual real name. Um, I started out as a uh, small software entrepreneur. I had a uh, full-time day job at a Japanese megacorp and spun a little application out uh, in my nights and weekends called Bingo Card Creator and had a modest amount of success with that, largely based on not so much the quality of the application or the wonderful nature of the business, but learning how to do online marketing, such as search engine optimization, email marketing, using AdWords. And then I kind of parlayed that into a bit of a consulting career. I had some amount of success with that, working with clients like uh, Fog Creek Software, Joel Spolsky's company, Matasano Security, a few other fairly big names, not all of which I'm at liberty to name, uh, largely working on the automated marketing of their products. So setting up drip email campaigns, first-run experiences for their applications, uh, working on pricing for their SaaS applications, that sort of thing. And uh, recently, I spun down the consulting business and to focus on my own products. My current product focuses appointment reminding SMS messages, emails, and phone calls to the clients of professional services businesses. It's used by a bunch of fairly large hospitals in the United States that I'm also not at liberty to name. And uh, everybody from big hospitals down to you know, one room um, uh, haircut places to get their clients to come to the appointment on time and make sure the proprietor gets paid for it. So I guess that's my professional career in a nutshell. And I, I feel like you are a testament to the power of doing lots of teaching for free, because that's sort of how I came across you. You, you write a lot of really informative Hacker News comments and uh, a lot of meaty blog posts. I'm actually subscribed to your mailing list where you just sort of keep giving away free information. Um, it didn't originally start as the marketing strategy. I'll tell you, there was this gentleman named Brian Plexico who uh, had a little, he wrote a blog post uh, back in 2006 about his experience with selling, selling a software that would allow you to bring a laptop. This was in the pre-mobile days. So the mobile device was a laptop. You would take the laptop out to the skeet shooting software, not skeet shooting software, skeet shooting I don't even know what the word is in English. The place that you shoot ski at. So you bring your laptop and you would you know, click a mouse around a Windows Forms application and record the ski that you'd shoot. And this uh, program would tell you what your score was. I don't actually shoot skeet. I think it's probably illegal in this country. But apparently there's like a somewhat complicated scoring system and the uh, computer would work that out for you. And he sold about $2,000 worth of this, but he wrote it up in a blog post. And reading that blog post was kind of a revelation to me because it was literally the first time in my life that it occurred to me that you could, you know, it was actually legal for an individual person to just start selling software that they had written. Perhaps many listeners had been programming since a very young age and had produced some things and uh, had some very minor contributions to open source projects or to just putting stuff up on the internet and letting people down it and download it. But I had never thought, wait, I could just hook that up to PayPal and people would pay me money. And they wouldn't, you know, come and beat me if there were bugs. And 
the IRS would not automatically get sicked on me and there would not be some you know, magic software cabal that says, wait, you're not a professional doing this. What are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. And um, as a result of that, reading that blog post, when I started Bingo Car Creator, I thought, well, this gentleman was kind enough to record his experiences and it gave me the courage to start my thing. So I'll start leaving some breadcrumbs behind for the folks who come behind me. And so I've been blogging since 2006. Um, last time I checked, there were about 400,000 words or so on the blog. I don't have an easy way to count that without running through a script that would probably <laughs> overload the server, given how much time I spent there. It sort of worked out that uh, it created a bit of a name on the internet for myself. Um, after the first couple of years of writing about what I was doing with Bingo Card Creator, the results of it were kind of modest. I think it sold maybe uh, somewhere in the vicinity of like $80,000 in its best year. Some folks who had less modest software applications said, well, the stuff you've been writing about is clearly interesting and you're having success with this stuff that you say you're trying and then come back six months later with here's how that worked out. Why don't you try applying that to a business that's at a bit more of a scale with a bit better product behind it and see if it works? And lo and behold, it did. And one of the things that that drew me to your early stuff was that you released like detailed sales numbers. Like I think there's even still a page on Bingo Card Creator where you can see like the stats for this month of how much you've sold. Yeah, I think www.bingocardcreator.com slash stats will get you to the page that lists all the publicly available stats. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was really cool. That kind of blew my mind when I saw that. I grew up, um, you know, lower to middle class and we have kind of an aversion to talking about money. And as I've gotten older, I think that that is not an advantage to us uh, in terms of achieving our professional and personal financial goals. It seems to be more to the, uh, to the benefit of business owners who are able to prevent their employees, maybe not prevent, but able to avoid their employees possess um, reliable market information about what their skills are worth. Many other people in my social class, I had a aversion to talking about money, asking about what your salary is, how you ended up justifying that when you did salary negotiations. But I did not have the difficulty the first month of Bingo Card Creator saying, yeah, it made $29.95 because that didn't feel like it was ostentatious or bragging or anything. And it also didn't feel like I was giving away my quote-unquote salary information, which I did not do for many years after that. Um, and then the nice part about SQL is that if you, you know, put SQL and Ruby on Rails together and put up a page which automatically records the stats, you have to like affirmatively make the choice to take that page down <laughs> or else it'll just keep going. And I've never made the choice to take that page down. So it's you know uh, been pretty reliable for the last, uh, what, eight years or so. I'd like transparency, but I'm not totally married to it. And there's reasons why having um, transparent numbers would be sort of against your interests if you wanted to take VC and funding or what have you. So I've never disclosed numbers for a point reminder yet. If it turns out that in the next year that I'm, I want to durably shoot my chances of taking funding in the head, I might uh, uh, revisit that decision. Um, also, uh, I do an end-of-the-year blog post where um, all the lines of business aside from point reminders. So that would be being a card creator, my consulting business, and my um, I have a productized consulting business, which we may talk about in a moment. But I would gather the sales stats and uh, key metrics for all of those and put them together in my end-of-the-year annual update. That started out mostly as a way to um, kind of have a view for myself of what was going on in the business, but it's been interesting for other people as well. 
One of the things I really that stands out to me on your personal site is that you have a section where you say that you, you welcome people contacting you, and you say that nothing makes me happier than helping people out. And that's just, it's great. And I, I think I've seen you write before that's like, as you develop a little bit of notoriety on the internet, people assume that you are possibly unapproachable. Yeah, it's absolutely the opposite of the truth. Um, the reason for putting up that standing invitation was when I was just getting started in my career, I had help from people who I kind of idolized a little bit, um, more than a little bit, you know, the, the Jill Spolskys of the world and whatnot. And my perception as a young engineer who was very shy was that um, Joel Spolsky is a high-flying multinational businessman who probably has like layers of secretaries between him and the general public and much more important things to do than to talk to somebody who's interested in the software industry and yada, yada, yada. Eventually got the chance to meet him, and it turns out he's a very, very smart guy, but very, very not a... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's very well-grounded and... Although I don't think I ever dropped him a cold email. My understanding is that, you know, he actually reads his cold email and responds to most of it. And uh, I had started before I put up the um, standing invitation page to get people come up, come up to me kind of hesitantly at conferences and say, you know, things, the general effect of, is it okay to talk to you? I'm like, whoa, this is, this is weirding me out a little bit. So just as, you know, breadcrumbs again for the people who, are not quite at the position in their career where I am right now. I totally put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. I run a very small business in a small town in the middle of Japan. I'm totally approachable. And like you mentioned earlier, I really, really do like teaching. That's one of my favorite things professionally. I, one of the things that makes me happiest is when people write me and say that uh, some advice that I've given them has worked in their business and made a difference in their lives. So I go... I go out of my way to make it obvious to people that, yes, I'm, you know, it's Patrick at any domain name I have. I'm the only person reading my inbox. And I do try to get back to, you know, 90 plus percent of the folks who write me. Hmm. How much time does going through that email inbox take you? Uh, it depends on the day. Some days I um, spend maybe, you know, between an hour and three hours on it. Some days I spend less. How, what, what does your uh, work schedule look like roughly, like a, a per week basis? My typical work week probably bounces somewhere between 20 and 40 hours, um, but it's all over the place because I'm constitutionally unsuited to kind of, you know, waking up at 7, starting work at 9, and stopping at 5. Typical day. Today's not a typical day because I just got back from Hawaii with my wife, and uh, the jet lag is still getting to me. But um, I always have breakfast with my wife. I usually go to the cafe at around 11 o'clock, answer emails until... 1 o'clock or one thirty from the cafe. Best thing for me ever was buying any uh, attachment for the iPad that gives it a keyboard. That makes Gmail actually useful on the iPad. And I come home, um, do a bit of programming if that's on the agenda for the day, and uh, stop at about 5 or 6 to go to the gym or play League of Legends or whatnot. Are you working mostly on appointment reminder these days for programming? So that's 95% plus of the programming I do. Um, Bingo Card Creator is very firmly in maintenance mode Literally can't remember the last line of code I wrote for it. My consulting business wound down in about um, May or so. Uh, since then, I've been getting a bunch of um, feature requests off the queue for appointment reminder and also making a lot of kind of like underlying um, uh, technical and not so technical changes for like getting my hypostory 
better nailed down, uh, HIPAA being the American health privacy legislation that you have to be compliant with if you want to have uh, healthcare providers using a, uh, your computer system with patient information. I have a lot of hospitals that are on the system already, but it's required custom paperwork and a lot of discussion with their lawyers to get each individual hospital on. And I want to be able to offer that in um, a less kind of high-touch manner going forward. Also, I have another um, uh, productized consulting thing coming up in Knock on Wood August, uh, hoping to do a product about um, improving the conversions and sales of software companies. So I think I haven't mentioned that publicly yet, so I guess this is me mentioning it publicly. All right. Well, hey, that's a that's kind of a perfect segue because uh, you and I talked earlier and you said you'd be willing to offer a little bit of feedback on our landing page for Prime. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cool. Do you want to pull that up now? Sure. So I've got it pulled up on my screen. Um, no, ooh, no, I don't. Uh, that's your homepage. Now I've got it pulled up on my screen. Start your journey to becoming a great Ruby on Rails developer. So, so by the way, we're at learn.thoughtbot.com slash prime if you want to pull this up and follow along at home. Mm-hmm. So this is actually, it's funny, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of the uh, community and whatnot. This is the first I've heard of it. Okay. So, well, that's, our, that's our first problem. <laughs> uh, so work with a mentor do you want me to just give you my extemporaneous sure. um, impressions totally. as I'm yeah. scrolling down through it? So, yep. and this might be my personal bias, but um, when looking at the price point and the uh, brief elevator pitch before I get down to work to a mentor, I'm sort of expecting something like a um, subscription to screencasts or some sort of mass scalable training and then work with mentor. It's like, oh, no, there's going to be a live component. Thoughtbot um, mm-hmm. mentors like Chad and Ben will talk to you every two weeks to discuss whether you like whatever you like, code review, landing your first Rails job, salary negotiation, etc. That's um, that's pretty awesome, and I, I have that. Hmm. So, just my personal bias, I think the intangible parts of the software development career are often kind of given short shrift when we're uh, teaching ourselves as engineers. You know, we think that mm-hmm. the the uh, and dry and TDD and the other acronyms are going to be what creates the forward motion in our career and at least in my own personal career that hasn't been the um, you know starting to program Ruby on Rails was a great great decision for me all my software is written on Ruby on Rails it's wonderful it's very productive it's not where the you know, I used to be making $30,000 a year at the Japanese Megacorp and um, making rather substantially north of that now and switching to Rails was not the thing that made that uh, that leap. It was getting more savvy on the business side of things. So hmm. having um, savvy business people who also are coders and respect code and uh, respect kind of the craft of that is, I think, a major benefit. And uh, I realize it's very fairly prominent here, but I wonder if we can get it into the tagline as well. Your journey to becoming a great Ruby on Rails developer. Um, hmm. I will think a little bit on what uh, the, the copy okay. is for that because sometimes. So, <laughs> so the, the the mentor thing is is new. It's actually like as of yesterday. Um, so we have. So you're right that so you, you see ninety nine dollars a month and you think like okay this is probably something that's not high touch or not like live components as much. Um, and before that, it was that was mostly true. Um, so one of the components of this is workshops that do have office hours that meet weekly uh, with real people. Um, but so we read Paul Graham's essay about do things that don't scale. 
Um, and we're like, you know what? It feels like the piece that's missing is this is like individual mentorship. Like um, we were worried that people would come into the program and, and, you know, they need a little direction and, and help. Uh, and so we, we added this in very recently and response has been very positive, like really positive. Um, but it doesn't scale. Uh, and it may be that with the addition of this, now we are now underpriced. Giving away too much at the beginning is generally not a problem. Um, I also read Paul Graham's essay and I think it kind of jives with stuff that, uh, I've been telling people for a little while and that other smart people have been saying for a little while, um, you can kind of prove out the model that this works for people and produces results at the current price points and with your current number of customers, whatever that is. And then if it becomes economically uh, inviable or otherwise uh, doesn't seem to be you know, meeting your goals at $99, you can create some sort of like tiered structure where uh, you, know, you control how much access people get to the kind of high-touch stuff. Um, it might work out that um, something that Brennan Dunn, Nathan Berry, and company have found over the years is that um, uh, you can have a a kind of affordable entry point into your ecosystem at the at the low end, and then um, restrict kind of personal access to the uh, to the expert and charge radically more for that. And the people who get the most value out of you, or or the your biggest fans in the ecosystem, yada yada yada, will often be willing to pay that. $99 a month is for folks who are just getting started on their uh, freelancing career and maybe not as savvy about that. They might have a, a gross income from freelancing of $3,000 a month and 100 bucks a month might sound like a lot of money. If someone has taken advice from you that got them an upgrade into a you know $12,000 a month salaried gig, then they might have enough goodwill built up that there's basically no number that they won't pay to, you know, get them from uh, the 12,000 to the 14,000 or, you know, get your advice on starting their new startup or um, starting their own consultancy or whatnot. A specific question about this too. So we, we rolled out this, we decided that we're going to do this, this mentoring feature. Uh, and so we're like, okay, we need to change the landing page and let's, let's put it up front and center. And so um, one of the questions that came to us is like, should we AB test this change? Like we know we want to make this change to the product, do we want to do an A-B test on the landing page and see if this actually changes conversions? Is that important? Obviously, I don't know your numbers for this, but I'm going to guess that you don't have enough people who are converting into this to get um, statistically significant results for an A-B test in any decent amount of time. You would need to be getting literally hundreds of people signing up for this every month, and I'm guessing from numbers I've seen elsewhere in the industry that that's probably not happening. Rather than focusing on getting the gold standard A-B tested, um, a quantitative feedback, it might be getting qualitative feedback from the people that you're doing the mentoring with and maybe uh, folks that you're exposing to this page for the first time. Does that does that mentorship thing feel like a value add to you? If not, is it because is it because mentorship isn't valuable for you or are we not present, presenting it the right way? So, so is A-B testing in general a tool that we could, we're going to need to wait to reach for until we have substantial traffic like that going through? Yeah, Um you can adapt it earlier by ape testing things that are less high friction than a sign-up uh, to a paid product. For example, if you have an email list somewhere, A-B testing to get uh, sign-ups for an email list is uh, much easier because the you know baseline conversion rate for the uh, submission to an email list is often something in like the 25% region. So if you back out the numbers, you can have a um, meaningful A-B test running every week with only like say, 3,000 visits a month to the, page, to the email capture squeeze page. But um, uh, you'd 
need to have many, many more uh, visits a month and conversions a month on this page to be able to discern the difference between, say, like, you know, conversion rate of 1% and a conversion rate of 1.1%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Should we keep working down the page? Yeah, sure. So enroll in premium hands-on workshops. Uh, so this is more focused on what the product is than what it gets for the customer, which is often something that engineers do to their detriment. Uh, our workshops are more than just video tutorials. You'll build real apps and communicate directly with the ThoughtBot developer designer. Begin an online workshop as soon as you sign up. So nice uh, JavaScript effect when I when I run over the workshop things, although a bit distracting. Okay, I'm going to continue scrolling. Collaborate with ThoughtBot and other members. Don't develop alone. Communicate with ThoughtBotters and other motivated professionals. Ask questions about workshops, books, or personal projects. Join interesting conversations. I think that that's fantastic value there that isn't getting, isn't getting sold as it's fantastic value. Like a buddy of mine, Thomas, uh, calls me his consigliere. Uh, you know, he runs a fairly, fairly large consultancy and uh, uh, does wonderful business with that. And when he needs like a outside opinion, he can trust on stuff from people who are not in the business every day. He calls me up. Similarly, when I have uh, that problem, I call him up. Um, you're basically offering your services as uh, very successful developers with business sense behind them uh, to be like the consigliere for people, not just for their for their dev focus needs, but also for their business focus needs. And that's available on tap. And that sounds fantastically valuable to me because of the sorts of things that I could potentially, I hate the word pick your brains, but um, the sorts of like meaningful problems that I could ask you for your advice on and avoid roadblocks or avoid painful uh, damaging mistakes to my business as a result of that business and or personal career. You know, phrasing it like that sounds fantastically more valuable than ask questions and get interesting conversations. Like, you know, I have interesting conversations with my friends down at the publication lane about, you know, what a sports team is doing, but an interesting conversation that increases sales for a business by 25% is an entirely different category of interesting when I'm thinking about whether I want to pay $100 a month for access to that conversation. I'm not sure that we provide exactly that expertise, though. Was that example or that you something that you think this page is saying that we can do? It's an example. Um, I'm not, you're not committing to it here. I guess you could... you Workshops, books, your personal projects... So you'll be talking more about the uh, programming aspect of things than the business stuff. Sorry, I always bring stuff back to business because that's uh, kind of how I roll these days. Yeah, we're, but, we're sort uh, of Rails experts and business intermediates. Okay, exclusive content weekly. So Ruby Communities, that's an amazing pace of innovation. I feel the butt. <laughs> it, it often feels like best practices have a shelf life a few months before replaced by better ideas. Yep. <laughs> hmm. And then become an expert Rails developer. We've trained hundreds of developers and apprentices over the years. Have a great handle on what it takes to become and main, remain an expert level Rubyist. Ooh. So this is really good copy. With Learn Prime, we finally created a service that's nearly as good as joining ThoughtBot full time. On the assumption that people are already in your ecosystem by the time they get to this page and they have trust for ThoughtBot, and many of them are probably thinking, you know, "Wow, I wish I were to ThoughtBot with those geniuses every day. I'd be." learning much more than I do grinding time out at the day job, that feels like fantastically valuable to me. Right? Okay. I'm not as deep in the ThoughtBot ecosystem as uh, most of your people are, but back when I was idolizing Joel Spolsky and Fog Creek, if they had had a sales pitch like that, I would have been like, ooh, oh heck yes. Okay. So maybe that needs to go more focus on the page? Right. You could even you know, work something that to um, 
work something like that into the headline maybe. Start your journey to becoming a great Ruby on Rails developer. So thinking, thinking of who the customer is, where they are right now, and where they want to get to. This phrasing says that we think they're kind of you know, Ruby on Rails noobs right now. They want to get better, and this is going to be the stepping stone for them. I'm guessing that if you survey your customers, you'll find that not all of them are actually newbies, and some of them probably aggressively self-identify as not newbie, but still want to uh, continue leveling up. Perhaps they've hung out a shingle for themselves as consultants and would describe themselves as perhaps an intermediate-level Rubyist, but um, want to get to kind of like the rarefied air of uh, the folks who work at ThoughtBots or the folks who work at 37Signals around the Rails core team or whatnot. And so you could position it not as a beginner-focused thing, but more as a like the virtual equivalent of working at ThoughtBot. You could say the you know the next best way to become an expert Rubyist other than working with us every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Might even include a microcopy, like you know, it's virtual access to our water cooler, hmm. something like that. Yep. Um, and I think less is more on the examples of uh, particular bits of content they're giving to people. I do love the JavaScript effect, but um, if you instrumented it out, most people will not actually um, play with these things to see that there is a JavaScript rollover effect. And also, there's kind of like the paradox of choice where there's one, two, three, four, four wow, six, 12, 18. Um, there's 18 little cards that I'm unlikely to page through. Mm-hmm. They they kind of just wash over me as, okay, there's 18 little cards, which is great if you're selling by volume, but um, information products are largely not sold by volume. They're sold by value. So if you were giving examples of the representative examples of the types of things that you're going to be teaching me, I might lead with um, the three most interesting or most um, persuasive examples of uh, content for the course. Maybe even with, you know, a link to... Let's click on this do anything. Oh, yeah. So, okay, clicking on it actually does um, take me to a page about that. That was not obvious for me. But, yeah, um, so maybe have, like, three examples of the kinds of things you could be learning. Okay. And you might have one very generic example, like, you know, intro to Ruby on Rails, or, and then one um, kind of, like, deep dive example for something. And then something that Aaron Wall from uh, SEO Book told me once. Try to give away your best thing on the sales page, um, largely because everyone will assume that you aren't giving your best thing away on a sales page. <laughs> so if you put your absolute best, the one tip that you know that has made a difference for people on the sales page that will kind of like peg their expectations for what is available uh, inside the product. Similarly, if you you know rank order the things that you have available to teach people and then only put the subjectively the worst 10% on the sales page um, with the idea that uh, you'll keep the best stuff for yourself until people break out the credit card, then many less people will break out the credit card because they'll assume, well, this is kind of boring or generic or beginner-focused, yada, yada. Um, So I did a course last year about uh, email marketing, and I gave away my single best tip for software-as-a-service companies, which was to ask for um, upfront prepayment of uh, one year of software-as-a-service rather than rather than asking for, you know, the monthly billing arrangement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a bunch of people um, implement the email like I suggested it and make several hundred thousand dollars just from, like, free advice that was given away on the sales page. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So they bought the product for 250 now several hundred thousand versus 250 not the ideal way to split that value, but <laughs> what can you do? This was, was this referring to your uh, drip marketing product or something different? Yeah, the drip marketing slash lifecycle email product. So speaking of that, um, so like right now, this, this page's goal is to get you to sign up for a $100 a month service, um, which is a pretty big ask for, for some people, for our average customer, I think. Would it make sense to try an alternate path of like, you know, sell a one month course on becoming a better Rails developer or something like that? That's like an alternate, you know, you're not interested in that, but you'll, you will give us your email address. So can you um, just describe to me briefly, because I'm not as deep in your ecosystem as some people are, what are the kind of options for entry into your stuff other than this? Um, is there an option for entry into your guys' stuff other than this? Uh, when you say, you mean like our products? Right. Um, so you can actually buy these products individually. Uh, this, so this originally was like just sort of a more standard e-commerce-y kind of store selling our uh, screencasts and books and workshops. Uh, and then about f- uh, back in January, we decided we wanted to try to morph it more into a subscription service. Um, mm-hmm. So you te- there actually are links on the internet and blog posts and things like that to individual products. And people still do buy individual products. But we decided that this was, we wanted to focus on this for a while and see if this was a viable approach to it. But other than, other than that, that's, that's how people get our stuff. So I think you'll find that you'll have, if you look at conversion rates, the conversion for people who have already bought something from ThoughtBot, used it, and loved it, is going to be vastly higher than people who are just hitting this page cold mm-hmm. or who have um, a relationship with ThoughtBot. You know, maybe they're on your newsletter or they read your blog for a couple of years, but they don't have a commercial relationship with you yet. Like just information architecture wise, if this is the primary page where people are um, getting into your funnel, um, you might consider leading with something that's a little less of a commitment than a hundred dollars a month um, email squeeze page. But yeah. if it's if this page is like later in the funnel than the primary point of engagement, then it might be worthwhile to just keep focused on like the one product offering here with the understanding that. Um, when you engage people, you're going to be giving them this is one option next to the kind of like smaller asks, like the um, trying to get people to just download one screencast for $20 or whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. And then after after someone has um, bought other products from you and kind of quote unquote opted into a deeper relationship, you can pitch them individually with looks like you use this, you gave us five star feedback on it. Um, we'd recommend that you join Learn Prime, and here's a special offer for you on that. Um, that's something that Brennan Dunn does very, very successfully, where the you know, like kind of entry point into the Brennan Dunn paid ecosystem is a um, book that's $47 or something called um, uh, Double Your Freelancing Rate. Mm-hmm. And obviously double doubling someone's freelancing rate has a, a bit of an impact into their bottom line. So. Uh, some number of days or weeks after you buy double your freelancing rate, if you haven't bought his other stuff yet, his uh, system will automatically kick you an email saying, did you know that there was this you know, other thing available from us that's at, um, maybe it's a uh, live workshop for uh, the consultancy masterclass workshop, which is you know $2,500 or something. Mm-hmm. Obviously a much more substantial ask than, uh, than $47 for an ebook is. But if uh, Brennan has already made you $10,000 by the time you read that email, then it doesn't seem that, like it's that huge of an imposition anymore. That makes sense. So we, we, have, we do collect uh, email addresses for people that do one-off purchases. And, and, and you were right. that So we have been emailing people uh, on that list and saying, hey, you should check out Prime, and conversion rate is much higher than usual. 
Um, but it sounds like we should probably, we've been doing that kind of manually, like, hey, we have a thousand people that we should get in touch with. Um, and, and maybe this should be an automatic thing, like, you know, X number of days after an individual purchase, you get an email like, hey, hope you enjoyed the whatever, you should consider this. Manually is perfectly, you know, perfectly fine for starting out. Um, again, the PG thing, do things that don't scale to start out, you know, when you're kind of like testing the waters and whatnot. But um, uh, after you've kind of seen that, okay, when we, when we send people who have this profile, this sort of email, it generally tends to do results for us. Then if you know using like customer.io or some tool or just um, a couple lines of uh, Rails and then a cron job that you can uh, send an email out as an automated process and never have to think about that again. And it'll gradually drip sales at you over time. Then that's a uh, that's kind of a win. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. It's funny. I wrote a course about drip email marketing and lifecycle emails and did not actually pitch that course to people using drip email marketing or lifecycle emails for about a year after writing it, uh-huh. but I just started doing that. Um, like people who sign up for my email list would get an autoresponder sequence that had absolutely no call to action or no sales pitch in it. It was just, well, I want to make sure you're getting emails, so here's five. Mm-hmm. And I just put a the minimum viable sales pitch for the for the uh, trip email product in one of those emails, and that's in the you know month and a half or so since that minimum viable sales pitch has been in there. That's made. A couple thousand dollars, which worth the amount of time it took to write an entire paragraph in an email that already was written. So cool. Well, uh, thank you for the the feedback on that. That's all really helpful. Yeah, no problem at all. And if you ever have anything you want to run by me about this, please drop me an email. Goes to anybody listening to this, by the way. Um, this is my business, but it's also my hobby. And uh, see the standing invitation if you ever want to talk to me about this kind of stuff. I generally love talking about it. Cool. And you mentioned that Patrick at any of your domains works. Yep. Okay. And uh, Patio Eleven on Twitter. Yep. Cool. Uh, well, Patrick, it's it's late where you are, so uh, I'm going to let you go and, and get to sleep. But uh, thanks for dropping by and uh, offering your thoughts. All right. Thanks very much, and thanks for having me. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 60. Today's podcast was recorded by Mike Manor, edited by Igor Stolarski, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.